unpacking the title that's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Before we jump in and drill down on that title, I, I want us to put the, the verse in its historical context. Because as we say at Maple Grove, when it comes to understanding the Bible, that context is what? It's king. It's king, right? So as Isaiah chapter 9 opens up, it's approximately the year 734 B.C. And the nation, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, have been divided and in a civil war for over 200 years. And I think we agree that's not a recipe for good times within the nation. And listen, this civil war, as you might expect, had weakened both the north and the south, which made them very vulnerable to attacks from the nations that surrounded them. And that happened again and again during those years. And to make matters worse, not only was the nation divided and at war, but the nation had turned their backs on God, began to worship other gods, began to worship false gods, turning away from the Lord. And I contend that provided both the foundation and the ongoing fuel for this civil war. Because I, I contend that if, if people are walking with God, then they're not fighting with each other, right? If we're walking with God according to his will as expressed in his word, then we are not fighting and hating on each other. Amen? Amen? Amen. You back home on the couch. Amen? All right. Sweet. And, and uh, so you're starting to get the picture of what's going on? The nation is in a mess. It's in turmoil. Division, rage, violence, hatred, anger, war. Uh, not to mention the untold economic, emotional, and personal fallout as, as people lost their homes, they lost their businesses, and they lost their loved ones. So God sends his prophets to both kingdoms. He sends prophets like Elijah, Elijah, Amos, Obadiah, Hosea, calling on them to repent and to turn back to God, but they refused to hear. And during this 200 years of conflict, Israel in the north had like 17 kings during that time that were really bad, bad kings. They were not good at all. Judah in the south had 11 kings. And they were kind of okay, but the guy who was sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter 9 was not a good guy at all. His name was Ahaz, and God says this about Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz was 20 years old. When he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years, unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He did not do what was right in whose eyes? In God's eyes. And by the way, when it comes to right and wrong, right, when it comes to what is right and what is wrong, God's eyes are the only eyes that matter. Amen? Not the prevailing culture of the day, not what those who shout the loudest say, but right and wrong is determined by the eyes of God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, right? They were not good. And even sacrificed his son in the fire. He participated in a, in a type of worship of the, uh, the pagan god Baal that involved human sacrifice. What a great king he is, right? Engaging in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense in the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. So King Ahaz was not a godly man. He was not a good leader. He was corrupt. He was immoral. He was wicked. He was ineffective. And he was not at all prepared for the crisis that is going on in Isaiah chapter 9. You see, in 734 B.C., the king of the north, his name was Pekah, 
His last name was Chu, King Pikachu. <laughs> All right, mercy laughs there. But his name really was Pika. I don't know about Chu, right? But his name was Pika, right? And, and he formed an alliance with the king of Aram, and they formed an alliance to attack Judah, right? So God sends his prophet Isaiah and says, hey, take a deep breath, calm down, chill out. It's going to be okay. Just trust in me, and I will deliver you, right? God said, hey, I got this. Just trust in me. But unfortunately, Ahaz didn't listen. And here's the truth of the matter. It's hard to trust in a God that you don't know and are not following. I'm going to say that again. It is hard to trust in a God that you do not really know and that you are not really following. And so he chooses instead, hey, I'm, I'm going to form an alliance with the king of Assyria, right? Uh, that was his plan. Not a good plan because in just a few years, Assyria would become knocking at his door wanting to fight him as well, all right? And listen, God is not happy with the decision, right? He's not at all. And so as Isaiah chapter 8 closes, you get this picture where God is kind of saying, okay, Ahaz, you want to do this without me? You want life without me? Well, I want to give you a picture of what doing life and facing your enemies without me will look like, all right? Because your life minus me equals not a very pretty picture. Your life, I love equations, right? Your life minus me is not a very pretty picture. Here's a picture he paints of God's people because of their leader's decision. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they're hungry, they'll rage and curse their king and their God. They'll look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there'll be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They'll be thrown out into the darkness. So that's the context for Isaiah chapter 9. A nation that is in turmoil. Again, wars and hatred and violence and anger and rage and hardship. God's people living just like the culture around them. I mean, they were living so much like the world that you could not really tell the difference between God's people and the world. On the top of that, for 200 years, you know, they've had some incredible, incredibly lousy and ungodly and evil leadership. And for Judah at that moment, the one sitting on the throne was a guy named Ahaz, and he was, he was a terrible king. He was an evil king. And he was a leader that God said, okay, you want to do this without me? Well, here is what it looks like. It's not going to be pretty without me. Kind of gloomy stuff, right? I mean, imagine living in such a time. Now we're ready for Isaiah chapter 9. It's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus, their Messiah. Yeah, I know it's dark and gloomy. First verse in chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I want to show you a picture here. What he's talking about is like when, when the Syria first came in and conquered, coming in this way, Naphtali, Zebulon, they were the first to feel the full brunt of the attack. They were the first to really suffer. But what he's saying, hey, in the future, right, around the way of the sea, like, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee right there, you know, where Jesus did most of his ministry. He's saying, hey, yeah, it's tough right now, but matter of fact, in the future, around you, some great, incredible stuff is going to happen, okay? 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. Okay, so, so what's going on? What, what, is, what is behind this powerful change of events, right? From deep darkness to light, from gloom and despair to joy and rejoicing, from burdens and oppression to those yokes being shattered, from war to peace. Like, what's the reason for to us a child is born? To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Welcome to week eight in our series, Name Above All Names. On December 9th, 1866, I was there. No. But, but in England, Charles Spurgeon, he, he spoke on this very title of Jesus. And I, I, I want to quote from his introduction. And, and, and I just want to tell you that this is well worth leaning into what this guy has to say in regards to this topic. Here he goes. How complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him a child and a counselor, a son, and the everlasting father. This is no contradiction. And to us, scarcely a paradox, but it is a mighty marvel that he who was an infant should at the same time be infinite. He who was the man of sorrow should be God over all, blessed forever. And that he who is in the divine trinity, always called the Son, should nevertheless be correctly called the everlasting Father. How forcefully this should remind us of the necessity of carefully studying and rightly understanding the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must not suppose that we shall understand him at a glance. So deep is the mystery of the person of our Lord Jesus that, we must, that he must reveal himself to us or we shall never know him. He's not discovered by research or discerned by reason. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas, said Christ to Peter, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee. Spurgeon continues, he is the lesson, but he's also the schoolmaster. He is both lock and key, answer and riddle, way and guide. He is that which is to be seen, for we are to look upon him, but it is by him that we are enabled to see, for he giveth sight to the blind. Let us end, dear friends, if we really desire to understand the most excellent of all sciences, the science of Christ crucified, and treat the Lord himself to be our rabbi, and beg to be allowed to sit with Mary at the, pastor's, at the master's feet. Be this our prayer, that we may know him. And be this our desire, that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For to know him is life eternal, and be taught of him is to be wise unto salvation. That we may know him. To know him is life. 
And brothers and sisters, that is why we are doing this series, so that you can know better the one you have chosen to follow. And listen, since April the 26th, we have unpacked some powerful Know Jesus Better Truths that are intended to both anchor and shape your life. Maple Grove, Jesus is the Word become flesh. He is mighty God, Emmanuel. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lamb of God. He is the head of the body, the bridegroom of the bride, the vine of the branches, the cornerstone of the building, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, we're going to look at this title in Isaiah 9, verse 6, that at first glance may seem a little confusing, right? Jesus is the everlasting Father. First, let me tell you what it does not mean. Number one, it doesn't mean that Isaiah is confused, right? He's not confused. And it doesn't mean that somehow Jesus has replaced God the Father in the Trinity, right? No, Jesus is still God the Son. Get it? Good. So, in what way is the Son like the Father? Here's how I kind of put it together. Jesus is the Father equals not in identity, but in disposition. It is a descriptive analogy pointing to his character. He is fatherlike in his treatment of us. And the great news is that this fatherlike care towards us is everlasting. And listen, since you know the historical context of the title Everlasting Father, you know that this is the exact kind of leader that God's people needed and were longing for. And because the leaders they knew were weak, they were selfish, they were unwise, often violent, ungodly, and agenda-driven men. But instead, Jesus would be to his people He would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He would be an everlasting father to them. And so what I want to do in our our time remaining is I want us to consider some of the God the Father caring characteristics of Jesus. And listen, these never-ending characteristics of Jesus should be of great encouragement to us this morning. I mean, seriously. He is exactly, he's exactly the kind of father and leader that we need in our lives. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. We come before you, Jesus. We come before you, Spirit. We come before you as finite people. We know you're infinite. We come to you as unwise. We know that you are all-knowing. We come to you as weak, and we know that you are all-powerful. We come to your word, which we know endures forever. We come to your truth that we know is life. Father, I just pray that right now as we we dive a little bit deeper into this concept of Jesus being the everlasting Father, um, that you would open up our hearts and minds. You would remove all distractions from us. God, I pray for the fathers and dads in this room and listening, because all these qualities of God would be Good things for us to embrace as well. Father, I ask you to just help me right now to do honor to who your son is. Help me not to get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the everlasting father. Got to be honest, I, I never really looked into this before this week. I've been learning so, 
You always, the Bible is a crazy book. You admit it, right? I mean, you read the thing for years and years and years and you keep learning. And I never really dug deep into this one like some of the other titles we looked at in the study. And, and I'm really glad I did. Um, he's the everlasting father. And this title speaks, first of all, to his everlasting presence with us. A few verses. And, and there's going to be a lot of scripture, all right? I was going to say, I hope you're okay with that, but I'm not, I don't care if you're okay with that or not, right? You know, because um, my words aren't living and active, right? Uh, my words are not a double-edged sword, but God's word is. And, and I'll tell you what, if your heart and mind are open right now, I can guarantee you, those in this room and those at home, right? I can guarantee you that you'll hear something from God because God has something he wants to say to you. His word is not dead. His word is enduring. It's alive right now and wanting to speak to you. So there's a lot of scripture today. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus is an ever-present help and Unlike money, right? Unlike money, Jesus will never leave you and Jesus will never forsake you. Jesus will never cast you aside. Others may cast you aside, but Jesus never will. Question, do those words, do they they encourage you? How about these words? Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, God has always desired to be with his people. I mean, we see in the very beginning, right, in the garden when God would take walks with them in the cool of the morning, right? We see it when they wandered in the wilderness and God guided them by a fire by night and a great pillar of cloud by day. We see it as they set up camp in the wilderness with the tabernacle right in the center. We see it in the holy city of David where they had the temple in the center of the city. And we see it as God the Son left heaven and put on human flesh and walked among us. Jesus is the everlasting Father, and, he's, and he is everlasting in his presence with us. And what he said to Isaiah, he says to you and to me today, at this very moment, some of you need to hear this. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And we will see a victory, right? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. He's the everlasting Father. He's always constantly with you. In fact, David wrote that, that, we, that it's kind of impossible to get away from God. He said in Psalm 139, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. He is the everlasting Father that will never leave us. Think about that. Will never forsake us. And listen, his never-ending presence matters. And it should greatly encourage us, right? Because, like, we're never alone. Amen? Amen. And listen, dads, your presence matters a lot, too. In fact, it matters so much more 
uh, than our current culture cares to acknowledge. You see, tragically, many psychologists and sociologists have called what we're in right now as the fatherless generation. I actually ordered this book this week. Um, here's what it said. It's on the back flap. Fatherlessness is written to the hearts of our generation. It's heard in our songs, seen in our movies, and read in our blogs. It's a story of shame, loneliness, and rejection. A story that desperately needs to be heard. Fatherlessness is both a personal tragedy and a growing epidemic. Fatherlessness is the engine driving gangs, teenage pregnancy, drug abuse, and suicide. The fatherless are are all around us. They're often missed or ignored. Uh, here, here are some stats that are pretty troubling. Your kids not living with a father. In, in 1960, about 7% of kids in America live without their dad. It's, probably, it's worse now, but in 2014, 40% across all races, right? They vary by race. 40%. That's a 600% increase of kids not living with their dads. And check out these stats right here that are going to pop up. The importance of fathers in home, percentage from fathers' homes. 63% of teen suicides are from fathers' homes. 71% of high school dropouts. 71% of pregnant teens. 75% of adolescents in chemical abuse centers. 80% of rapists with displaced anger issues. 85% of children with diagnosed behavioral problems. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Dads, your presence matters, right? And just being there, right? You ain't perfect. Forget about it, right? Just being there matters more than you know. Amen? And listen, no one, regardless of the experience they had, right? No one regardless of the experience they had with a mom or dad, are ever rejected by God. I've always loved this verse here. That my father and mother forsake me. Fortunately, that happens, right? The Lord will receive me, right? Even if nobody else wants me, right? Even if nobody else wants me, the Lord always wants me. I want you to know today that God wants you. God wants you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You are wantable. Hey, is that a word? It should be, right? You are wantable, right? Look at someone and tell them you're wantable. You're wantable. All right. Amen. I don't, I don't think that's a word. Um, it should be. Uh, Jesus is the everlasting Father. This title speaks to his everlasting presence with us and his everlasting provision for us. Isaiah 46, verse 4. I like this one because I'm getting old. I'll be your God through your lifetime until your hair is white with age. Amen. I made you and I'll care for you. I will carry you along because you can't get along too much and, and save you. Understand, Jesus, the everlasting Father, his care of you and provision for you is everlasting. And Jesus spoke these powerful words in on the Sea of Galilee that I just showed you, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. And the words that you've heard many, many, many times before. But I would encourage you, if you like them, you know, to just close your eyes as I read these words and 
Imagine it's not, you know, some guy up here saying them, but imagine that it's the carpenter king who's speaking these very words to you right now, to whatever situation you're in. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry. Saying what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. For the idolaters seek all those things. Or your heavenly father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. And Paul said this. In Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the everlasting Father who provides for all your needs. He provides the right words for tough situations. He provides guidance when you have to make tough decisions. He provides comfort in times of heartbreak. He provides opportunities for you to make a difference in the lives of other people. He provides people who will stand beside you and with you during difficult times. He provides answers to your prayers. He, he provides spiritual truths that, if you live by them, will protect you from the consequences of doing stupid stuff. He provides strength when you feel like you cannot go on. Jesus is the everlasting Father, and this speaks to his provision. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along. Seek my kingdom, and all these things will be provided for you. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ's glory. It speaks to his presence, his revision. This title also speaks to his everlasting protection of us. Protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is talking to his people. He's finding out he knows he can't go in the promised land. He's telling them, hey, you know what? You're going to have to do battle in order to enter this land. And by the way, for you and I to live the life God wants us to live, we will have to do battle. And we know that, right? And so he speaks these powerful words of protection. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. In Isaiah, we read these awesome words of the everlasting Father's care and protection. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Hebrew writer puts it this way. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
right? So never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, right? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will mere mortals do to me? You know what? Let's say that. This line right here. Mitch Miller, follow the bouncing ball. <laughs> Mitch Miller. And if I didn't show my age any time ever, I'd just show my age big time right there. Mitch, who is Mitch Miller? It's Pat and Joe Miller's son. No, kidding. Okay. Ready? On three. One, two, three. All right, and just let's crank the passion dial up just a tad. One, two, three. Isn't that good to know, right? That'd probably be a good verse to memorize, right? When you feel like some stuff's coming against you and you're starting to be freaked out and say, oh, whoa, 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 wait a second. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What the heck do you think you can do to me, right? You're just a stinking mere mortal. Paraphrase. Um, and Paul said this, even though he knew pretty soon he was going to face a Roman sword. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Amen. Jesus is the everlasting Father. And this speaks to his, to his protection, his protection of us, right? And what an incredible protector, right? I mean, seriously, like if the Lord's your helper, right? If God's got your back, then, then you're, you're good, right? And, and I think you know, dads, we're to be protectors too, right? You know, we're to protect our children. You know, sometimes they don't want our protection, right? Sometimes our protection will make them not like us, right? Been there, done that have the t-shirt, and then my kids burned the t-shirt because they didn't like me at the time. You're just kidding. But, you know, dads are protectors. You know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Who knows? It's May spray. And by the way, I got you a better color one, May Lee, than the, I got her a really bright pink one, but I got her a gray one now, you know, because she drives by herself, works at night, and, you know, and I can't always be with her, so, hey, you know, can I get it? Let's get a demonstration, you know. <laughs> Anybody want a pepper spray demonstration? You know, but, you know, it's like, hey, this is my way. Hey, you know what? I can't always be there to protect you. Hopefully, this $10 thing I order on Amazon will protect you if you need it, right? Um, good thing about God is, guess what? He's always there, right? Yeah, he's always there to protect us. He's always there to watch over us. He is the everlasting Father. This also speaks to his everlasting patience with us. Is God patient with his people? You ever read the Old Testament? <laughs> you ever read the book of Judges? Oh, God, you're awesome. We love you. Things are so great. Oh, God, forgot all about you. Things are terrible. God, save us. You know, it's a cycle they go through. If I were God, not only would I be so done with God's people, I would be so done with me, right? I, I would have been so done with me a long time ago, right? You know, I, I would have lost patience with me a long, long time ago. Fortunately, I'm not God. And fortunately, our God is different. In Psalm 103, and maybe you wondered if somehow that, that you have tried you know, God's patience for the last time and he's, 
The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us as our sins deserve. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Amen? The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I like this last part. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust, right? He's not surprised by our stupidity, right? He's not surprised by our messing up. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like some really, really weak dust. But God has patience with me. And, and see, his patience with us just revolves around, really, it revolves around the fact that God wants us to be saved and to live saved lives, right? That's why he's patient with us. Peter talked about that in his, in his second letter. Uh, he, he talked to people thinking, hey, Jesus hasn't come back yet. And that must mean he's never coming back. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. That, that's not what it means. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Second Peter 3, 9. He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So that's God's patience, right? Yeah, it's about Patience with us so that we can live the life that he wants us to live. And I think as dads, patience matters, right? And probably patience is, you know, something I definitely, I don't know about any other dad out there or out there online, could use a little bit more of. Uh, To be patient about the right things and to be patient in the right way. And I also might add that mercy and forgiveness matter too, Right? I mean, God is merciful to us, and God forgives us, and we should be the same way as fathers. Jesus is the everlasting Father. This speaks to his presence with us, his provision for us, his protection of us, his patience with us, and to his passion for us. And there's a lot I could talk about here, but there's little time to do that. And so I just want to quickly... and. Seriously, quickly, even, is talk about four ways that we see God's passion for us displayed, all right? And you can marinate on these truths this week. Uh, this passion is seen in his love for us. It's seen in his love for us. No, no surprise, right? And obviously, there's a lot, there's a lot of verses that I could have picked <clears throat> that speak of God's love. I, I chose this one, John 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who, was, who were in the world, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love, right? He's in the upper room, and he's shown them the full extent of his love because he is about to wash the feet. He's about to be beaten and go to the cross for the very people who would betray him and abandon him and leave him alone, right? He's about to lay down his life for them. And Jesus said, they're... No greater love has anyone than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. So we see his passion and his love for us. We see this passion is seen in his adoption of us. 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And, and listen, I, I, I know firsthand the great pleasure of adoption, and I know firsthand that it takes a lot of passion to make adoption happen. Just a couple of pictures because I just had to, right? There is a, there's a, I, I, my hair wasn't gray yet, right? That's, that's my head, and that, that's Mei Li. We're in China, and I'm just holding her up in the air like that, right? You know, and, and it pleased me. And, and, and that's what God, right? That's how God sees you. Ah, yeah, I'm pleased with you, right? And here's a picture of, and there's Gentile. We just got back to Atlanta airport, you know, with his mom right there. You know, see, God's passion is seeing his adoption of us. He was willing to pay the price in order to adopt you into his family. He wants you to be a part of his family. Amen? Amen. This passion is seen in his acceptance of us. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Christ accepted you. See, you are accepted by God. You are accepted by the one that matters most. And yet he knows you. He knows all about you. Yet he still accepts you, right? Accepted is such an important thing, right? Because the opposite just is not good, right? But I just want you to know today that God accepts you. He knows you. The stuff that you try to hide from other people, he knows all about it. But the king of glory accepts you. And dads, I would just say this for us as well, that our acceptance matters. For our kids to know that we accept them. I've known people well into adult years who their dad's acceptance was like this carrot that they could never quite get. You know, they perform in sports, they perform in schools, they get a great job, they do this, and, and never quite was good enough. They never quite measured up. And if that's you, I just want you to know there's a, there's a Father in heaven and he accepts you. Amen? This passion is seen in his belief in us. If we are God's masterpiece, he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, Jesus is your everlasting father, and I want you to know, this is crazy, you know, he believes in you. He believes in you, right? He really does. He believes in you. He, he, he believes that, that you are a masterpiece, right? He, he, he believes that, that, that there are good things that, that he has planned for you to do and that you can do, and he planned these long ago, right? You know, God believes in you. And I got to tell you, you know, the power of somebody believing in you, you know, is tremendous power. And, and to know that God believes in you, he believes that you can do it, he believes that you can accomplish it, right, is a powerful powerful thing. God is your biggest cheerleader. He believes in you. He accepts you. He adopted you. He loves you. He is the everlasting Father. He speaks to his presence with us. He's always with you. His provision for you. He'll provide for you. His protection of you. He will protect you. His patience with you. And boy, you need that. And his passion for you. 
seen in his love, adoption, acceptance, belief. See, there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is the everlasting Father, right? No doubt whatsoever. In fact, there's only one question that remains, and that's this. Is Jesus, he is the everlasting Father, but is Jesus your everlasting Father, right? You know? I mean, all those great things of protection and provision and protection and provision, and uh, it applies to those who are his children and presence provides to those who are his children. And so if you're here today, you know, online or listening today or sometime, you know, have you given your life to Jesus, right? Have you surrendered to him? In faith and repentance, have you been buried with him in the, the waters of baptism, for forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? You know, is he your everlasting father? Uh, we're going to sing a song, and after the song, we take communion. Um, but the song, is a, it's a new one, but I think it's very appropriate. Um, the song is called Run to the Father. And I'm going to pray us into the song. Uh, Father, no matter where we are right now, I just pray, God, that we would breathe out and breathe in. And, God, that we would know. On Father's Day 2020, that we can always run to our Heavenly Father. That you love us. You provide for us. You're, you're present with us. You're, you're patient with us. That you protect us and that you're passionate for us. Father, I pray for, I pray for those who do not know this incredible love of the Father, God. That they'll realize that there's nothing they need to do except run to you. In Jesus' name, amen.